Hello and welcome back. This is Jason Innes. And it's Wendy Ma. And you're listening to The Chef Pod. Where we are sowing the seeds for the future of food. Yeah, how have you been, Wendy? Not too bad. Uh, getting into the Christmas holiday season, yeah, so yeah, yeah. making sure I'm getting all my workouts in yeah. before the eating starts. Right on, right on. So we've um, got some some special guests here. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Amy Symington, who is, uh, who is here to talk about her fantastic book, the long table. Yes, I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's it's all vegan, all beautiful, um, healthy, nutritious. Um, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic book. Um, so I've already just, stolen a couple of recipes that I'll be using for potlucks this yeah, Christmas. Yeah, nice, nicely <laughs> done, nicely done. So, um, Amy Symington, um, MSc, is a nutrition professor, research associate, and plant-based chef at George Brown College. She also runs the culinary nutrition programming at Gilda's Club, Greater Toronto a not-for-profit organization for those touched by cancer, and also does recipe development and food writing for various publications in Toronto. Amy believes in the evidence-based health and environmental benefits of plant-based diets and is the recent author of The Long Table Cookbook, Plant-Based Recipes for Optimal Health, which all author proceeds are being donated to Gilda's Club Greater Toronto to fund their cancer support programming. That's incredible. Yeah, and mm-hmm. also we have a student here with us as a guest host. We've got Kenzie Osborne, and Kenzie is a culinary nutrition student and recipe developer at George Brown College in the H119 Culinary Management Nutrition Program. So Kenzie, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to get the opportunity uh, to talk with you guys and uh, learn a bit more about Amy's book. So Amy, welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here also. Awesome. So (laughs) nice having you here. Mm -hmm. So so let's just get right into it. Tell us about your book. Yeah. So uh, The Long Table Cookbook is a collaboration between... George Brown College, um, Shirk, and Gilda's Club Greater Toronto. What's Shirk? Um, uh, so the so- Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. So we, we obtained a grant uh, about four years ago. It was called the College and Community Social Innovation Fund. So the idea is branching together colleges and, um, and organizations, small businesses, not-for-profit organizations uh, together. So the idea is that colleges have this um, – skill set or a skill set that then can fill the, fill a void in the community um, somewhere. And so that's kind of where the, the project began. Um, and so we started developing recipes specifically for Gilda's Club. So uh, through the H119 program that Kenzie <laughs> is currently taking, my students helped to, to develop some of the recipes that are actually utilized in the cookbook. Um, and so the cookbook uh, is kind of one third of an overall huge research project that we've been working on for the last four years. It's it's the most fun component of the research project, of course, but um, but uh, yeah, one component. And so um, the idea was that we developed these recipes for um, cancer nutrition. So we had found that there's a void in the cancer care realm um, for the practical application of cancer nutrition. Um, you know, it's all well and good to tell people to eat more fruits and vegetables. Uh, but if people don't actually how to get those plant-based foods into their into their bodies, it doesn't make a, a difference in terms of their overall health. Um, yeah, so the cookbook kind of stemmed from some of the programming that we run at Gilda's. The long table itself um, kind of is uh, a shout-out to uh, supper club programming that we run at Gilda's where we all sit down at long tables, eat together, nutrient-dense meals, um, and uh, and kind of, you know, 
provide social, emotional, and nutritional support to people who have been touched by cancer. So that's kind of where the project started. So a real community-style um, dinner dinner series. Exactly. Then. That's exactly it. And we find, too, particularly in these settings, that um, people are – obviously, they have a little bit of anxiety. There's issues um, relating to uh, you know the, the, the treatment that they're going through and, and – it's, it's a really hard time, and so coming together, sitting down, and sometimes the food that's served at the, the dinners is kind of just a good opener to a, a much deeper, richer conversation um, that they, that relating to their, their cancer treatment or the, the treatment that their loved ones are going through. So it's a very special place. <laughs> so, sounds great. So yeah. do you want to just um, riff on that a little bit? Tell us a little bit more about Gilda's Club and that's yeah. oh so our listeners yeah. can understand. Of course. Yeah. So I've been uh, with Gilda's Club since 2009. Actually, when I was a student, I took H1, I took the H119 program here at George Brown College and I volunteered at Gilda's. This was just after my mother passed away from breast cancer. So that was, she passed away in 2009. And then I immediately started volunteering with them, just providing them with kind of, um, uh, culinary demonstrations that had a nutrition focus specifically related to cancer nutrition. And, uh, and so I've been with them ever since. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really wonderful. And so they provide, Gilda's Club provides um, social, emotional, and nutritional support to people who have been touched by cancer. So anyone, it could be people who have been diagnosed with cancer, it can be their caretakers, it can be loved ones, it can be friends. Um, everyone is welcome and it's free. Uh, so you can you can sign up to be a member and utilize all sorts of programming. So I specifically look after the culinary um, nutrition programming. So we run nutrition showcases. We have our supper clubs. That's where the long table came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and people come and they get, you know, social emotional support. So my programming is just one component of many other programs that Gilda's um, supplies. They do things like they have wellness group meetings, of course, where people actually talk about um, how they feel going through the treatment or how they feel when their loved ones are going through treatment. But they also have things like arts and crafts and um, exercise programs like yoga, tai chi, all sorts of like stress relieving uh, programming. So a lot of um, uh, psychosocial support programs um, are present there, which is a very important component in cancer care and oftentimes forgotten um, we mainly just focus on like the, um, what's mainly is just focused on is, is, you know, getting, appo- better. getting better, like yeah. the appointments, the, the medications, that sort of stuff. And the, there's people- a little bit of ster- sterility in that, yeah. you know, it's a little cold that it's just going to a doctor's office back and forth, exactly. but this kind of provides a warm community vibe. It's not actually just the one goal, but the process. Totally. You're supporting the person the whole time. It's mm. not just, you know, they're not just, the illness, it's its a human being, right? You need right. to support the the mind as well as the body. And so, yeah, that's kind of a little bit what we do at Gilda's. It's a really wonderful, magical place. So it's amazing. <laughs> and and you, you touch on anxiety and stress that cancer patients are experiencing. And, you know, it's so, it's so important to remember that when you're dealing with, with any kind of um, illness, whether it's a physical or mental illness, how important um, nutrition is, how important exercise mm-hmm. is, and how important sleep is in order to in order to, to to keep you sort of grounded and help you help you get through those those difficult moments. And to be and, able to share it, like that, totally. I think that's the uh, most encompassing uh, component of that, where you're sharing this with everybody and realizing you're not alone is yeah. so important. Yeah, and that's kind of their tag. Gail's tagline is that no one should face cancer alone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I'm obviously biased, but I think my programming is very important, the nutrition particularly. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's the most asked about thing. So as soon as someone's diagnosed with cancer, the first thing most people ask about is what should I be eating? What right. should I be doing? How can I take control of this situation? And, you know, it's not usually they don't have a ton of control, right? So is the separate club also classes? So you teach them as well how to cook? So the separate club is its own programming where we, myself and a team of volunteers come together and we provide nutrient-dense meals to the members and their family members before their respective wellness group meetings. Okay. Um, uh, and then we also offer... Um, what we like to refer to as nutrition showcases. Mm. Uh, and they focus on some of the facts relating to, relating to cancer nutrition. So we pick a theme every month. We do them once a month. Um, and then we practically apply, apply that, meaning we make recipes mm. relating to those topics. And then I demo those. And then people have the recipes. They have the information. They can take that home and practically apply it. So sometimes we'll talk about things in general, just like cancer nutrition in general. But then um, often, uh, more often the, 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 the classes will be focused on like side effects of cancer treatment. So like fatigue or constipation or, you know, nausea, nausea, exactly. All of that stuff. So, yeah. so are there, uh, are there specific nutrients that you try and highlight in your recipes specifically that, uh, help patients with cancer? That's a really good question. Really good question. So overall, we focus on plant-based foods, and that's because um, plant-based foods are high in fiber, phytochemicals, um, and they themselves are functional foods. So we really focus on plant-based foods as much as possible. Of course, during certain times during treatment, um, there are things that are more important. So for example, during treatment, protein is something that we want to make sure um, they're getting more of. Uh, and, um, you know, particularly if someone's nauseous or vomiting a lot, then things like electrolytes come into play, like making sure that they're staying hydrated and actually getting enough nutrients. Um, sometimes, you know, side effect of treatment can also be anemia. So making sure that they're getting lots of iron-rich foods and maybe coupling that with uh, vitamin C-rich foods if it's a plant-based source of iron. So that sort of stuff. So we really, really, really focus on the plant-based nutrition. And that's because that's where the research resides in terms of the types of foods uh, to consume for prevention to consume during treatment and then to consume to pre um, help uh, prevent recurrence. So if someone was low in iron um, going through going through cancer treatment, what, what are some of the foods that you would suggest that they Yeah, eat? that's a great question. So I always say greens and beans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a good rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> and people remember it too. Mm -hmm. And then coupled with a vitamin C because that helps um, make it a little bit more bioavailable. And then also obviously concentrating on things that you maybe shouldn't also be consuming as much of. So alcohol caffeine, sodium, mm -hmm. um, uh, caffeine and alcohol in particular will displace iron or, or interfere with, with its absorption. So um, those are things you want to take into consideration as well. What's bioavailable? Um, so, for example, um, if we take spinach, spinach is a good source of iron, but it's kind of, I always like to say spinach is kind of selfish. It doesn't like to share its iron. It's <laughs> <laughs> present. the selfish vegetable. <laughs> exactly. So if you couple it with um, a vitamin C rich food, so if you have a big spinach salad, then you make a, a lemon vinaigrette dressing. Um, it's more, our, our body is able to utilize the iron that's present in the, in, in the spinach. And so you were saying protein is also really important, but we know it's, it's difficult to get a, a full um, source of protein from plant-based 
sources. So how, I guess, what's your favorite pairing or what yeah. pairings do you like to do to make sure they get all the amino acids? Yeah, so that's a, a frequently asked question. And so with um, with protein in particular, it's actually quite easy to get all the protein you require from a plant-based diet. Um, it is a commonly asked question, but um, it's, it's, it's actually a myth that we can't get what we need from it. Um, of course, you want to focus on good sources of protein, right? Um, and if we're talking about complete protein, so protein that contains all nine essential amino acids, we would focus on things like edamame, tempeh, miso, um, uh, buckwheat, uh, quinoa, chia seeds, hemp seeds. Those are all complete sources of protein. Um, but we also know that you can get, if one is lacking a few of the amino acids, you can combine it with something else. So like um, beans and rice, peanut butter and toast, like very simple combinations that that do make up a complete protein. Um, so it's quite easy. Yeah. Classic pairings that have been with us for thousands yeah, of years as well. Yeah, especially with beans and rice. Who doesn't yeah. love beans and rice? It seems All like every the culture. Love it. Love it. Love it. Some <laughs> kind of beans and rice yeah. somewhere, right? Except in Barbados, we call it peas and rice. Yeah, I mean, yes. Everywhere exactly. else in the world is, is and in Veneto, peas and rice. In Veneto, it's rizzi e peasy. So it's peas. Yeah, it's peas and rice. I love it. Yeah, that was a great question. Thank you. Not only is your book visually stunning and the recipes are fantastic. We, we've been through about four or five of them in our house so far. Um, but <laughs> like what I, what I love about, about the book is how you take the reader on this sort of journey into it's, it's almost like an introduction to cooking, right? Mm -hmm. So you give them an introduction to nutrients. You give them an introduction to, to the, the foods that, that, that are great. And also you give them an introduction into, into cooking tools and cooking techniques. So, you know, for a first time cook or someone just getting into, getting into it, this is a great resource to, to have. Thank you so much. That's really wonderful uh, to say. I was that that was kind of our intention. So it was, is a book that um, anybody could pick up and then actually utilize as a potential tool to create their own um, supper club programming. So the recipes are, there's there's six servings, but there's also 24 servings. So we have enough for, there's a, a source for large yeah. quantity. Exactly. And so that's exactly what we were trying to do, trying to make it as approachable as possible, utilizing like easy to find ingredients, um, but also providing them with the culinary terms that they might they might need. Um, there's also tips and tricks on how to run your own types of community supper clubs. If you, if, you know, if people wanted to simulate this sort of programming that we do at Gilda's, um, it's good for institutions like hospitals and, um, you know, long-term care facilities. Um, and we should also mention the recipes were originally developed for um, an anti-cancer diet in mind. But what we found through the research is that actually what was good for an anti-cancer diet is also good for all the chronic diseases as well. <laughs> and, and sounds like it's just good for health, health. in general. Yeah, right? for sure. Most definitely. So that's why we we, we focused we also, we focused on cancer in the, the um, kind of the explanatory part of the beginning. But um, but also type two diabetes, obesity, and heart disease as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I love the fact that you that you have six servings and twenty four servings. That's that's super super cool. Yay. But the recipes themselves are just really fun. You've got like <laughs> Thai noodle salad with spicy roasted almonds. That raw carrot cheesecake. Yeah. yeah. What about the kung pao chickpeas? Come on. Now. Yeah. <laughs> right? The pho noodle wrap. Like there's some really interesting, really interesting um, uh, ingredients in here and, and recipes as well. Um, for the, for the listeners out there, what are some of the, what are some of the fun go-to proteins that, that you're, that you're, you're using and yeah, you, you maybe want to touch sure. on those? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So just some of the ones that I, I, I just mentioned, which I, we absolutely love and we utilize all the time 
in our programming at Gilda's. Um, things like uh, whole soy foods, I should say. So nothing okay. we don't we don't utilize meat analogs or any of the the meat replacements because they tend to be what's processed. A, what's a meat analog? It's like um, you know, like veggie do- hot dogs. <laughs> So like high pro like like ultra processed food. Exactly, that's, that's we do not. Yeah, yeah, everything. Fast food. No. Okay. No. Like meat analog. That yeah, 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 yeah. heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before. It's um yeah, that's the general term for like okay. fake meats essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> meat. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we don't use this stuff. Everything is whole foods. It's whole food ingredients. But yeah, I we love. I, I love me some edamame. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Um, edamame, miso, tempeh. Um, yeah, hemp seeds, chia seeds, nuts and seeds in general. There's just so – there's so many. There's so many. Hazelnuts, um, walnuts, almonds, uh, cashews, and all, the, all the nuts. Seeds, um, hemp seeds, chia seeds, as I mentioned before. Uh, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. These are ones we utilize at Gilda's all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whole grains, again, whole grains are a good source of protein, uh, particularly if um, uh, we're talking things like quinoa and buckwheat. Right. Do you um, provide then like some sort of workshop where you would actually take some cancer patients or their family members shopping and knowing how to fill a pantry? Because some of these are, I mean, for me at least speaking, I they're all familiar and yeah. I know where to find them exactly, yes. but not everyone has actually even heard of, let's say, hemp seeds, for example. Yeah, for sure. Um, so actually in the book, we go through what to stock your pantry with. So oh, like perfect. tips and tricks on where to find things. Um, and I find like our grocery stores are becoming so mm. like well stocked these days <laughs> in terms of the ingredients you can find. So like the weirdest thing I think in the book is is probably like hemp seeds or we use like nutritional yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else is just whole foods. And again, just focusing on whole foods and and getting away from the ultra processed foods as much as possible. But that's a that would be a good fun kind of side yeah, like project. Would, Actually take people activity? grocery shop. Yeah, yeah, taking people grocery shopping. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I found great success in visiting health food stores yeah. as well in terms of supporting like a local a local community or right. local store. Mm-hmm. Um, most health food stores carry like a wide variety of, of organic and local beans and peas and pulses. And you can always find things like, True. like, uh, miso or tempeh. Um, do you want to just give us a, a touch on, on tempeh yeah. versus, um, uh, tempeh versus tofu for yeah, our listeners? For sure. So tempeh, uh, is essentially just fermented soy. And so it has that added benefit of being a probiotic as well. Um, easier to digest. Um, yeah. So probiotics, I mean, as, as some of you may know, is good for, um, well, probiotics exist in our gastrointestinal system. They provide all sorts of he- health benefits like improving our immune system, helping with the, the um, absorption of vitamins and minerals, mm-hmm. helping you go. And, and, <laughs> and they're alive, right? They live, they live within exactly. us. We've got, we've got trillions of parts per million of, mm-hmm. of, these, of these wonderful probiotics totally. in our system. Yeah. So we're just giving them boosts, right? And, exactly. If you're eating yeah. the foods that, are, that contain probiotics, you're, you're, you're adding to the already existing beneficial mm-hmm. bacteria. Now, I, I came across a study a couple of years ago that said there, the 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 fast food industry and the processing industry is really has has declared declared war on probiotics. 
mm. um, because you know, every time we purchase anything that's canned or jarred mm-hmm. or highly processed, mm-hmm. uh, these are these are these are essentially dead foods, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. alive in them. There's no there's no kombucha. There's no sauerkraut. There's no or if you're buying that and it's on or kimchi, if you're buying <laughs> yeah. it on the shelf and not in the fridge, yeah. it's a dead food, right? Yeah. So, um, is there a connection between using probiotics or, or eating foods that are that are probiotic and battling um, and battling what um, antibiotics do to our system and what cancer drugs do to our system um, for sure there is some there is some research that supports that definitely uh, it's not conclusive and as per as per usual more research is needed um, but it definitely helps with the person's overall well-being. Mm-hmm. Right, because if you're going through cancer, um, your immune systems are shot essentially. Cancer treatment, I should say. Um, so that it helps with immune immunity, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to help with with um, keeping the person well. And if you're absorb more readily able to absorb vitamins and minerals, that's also going to help keep the person stronger so that they're able to do the next treatment. Um, so there's a whole host of indirect benefits that probiotics um, um, contribute to cancer nutrition, but there's nothing that says directly that it, um, or we, we have yet that says directly that it, um, it, you know, reduces the, the risk of cancer. Right. Um, but yeah, but there are definitely, definitely benefits for sure. Fantastic. Um, for the, for the young chefs out there, how does one go about the process of starting to write a book? Yeah, that's a good question. Not only yeah. just for the young chefs, for anybody who's interested yeah. in writing a, writing a cookbook. Yeah. Um, get some money first. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first, my first tip. So we applied for um, a government grant and we're very fortunate to, 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 to be successful there. Um, but you can also, you know, look at funding. I mean, if, if I were starting from scratch, um, probably, you know, especially if I'm talking about young chefs who, you know, income, you're just starting out in your career. Right. Um, yeah, just doing like starting like a blog, um, you know, a recipe blog in particular, uh, you know, that is a good starting point and just, you know, building that up and building up maybe a following of sorts. Cause that's oftentimes what um, draws publishers right. to you is if you have a, a really substantial following. And you're kind of recipe and developing already. I mean, you're researching and developing already. Exactly. And yeah. it's, you're practicing, you're working, mm-hmm. you're working that muscle if you're doing it all the time. Actually, one thing that really helped me um, back in the day when I was first starting was I contributed to a food of the month column mm-hmm. uh, for the Toronto Vegetarian Association. Okay. Uh, and every month I would write up, uh, I would do a recipe I would pick first, first I'd pick a food of the month, then I'd do a recipe, and then I would write up about the health benefits of that particular uh, recipe um, or the, that particular food. Um, and so, yeah, so that gave me that kind of, you kind of, you're working that muscle, you're, 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 you're doing it regularly. Right. Um, and then, of course, I mean, reaching out to your, your chefs, <laughs> making it known that that's something that you're really interested in is recipe development. And then they'll think of you when there's projects related to recipe development. Um, yeah. And another thing, another tip I would particularly recommend to young chefs is volunteer as much as you possibly can. Think, think about what you like, think about what you like to do, what you want to do and volunteer for that. Um, because you're going to be more passionate about it and it's not going to feel like work. Right. I think that's a really great suggestion. Um, I've done a little bit 
of volunteering myself and I just find you can learn so much um, actually being uh, in in the workplace and actually seeing how things how things go. Um, I've been involved in a bit of uh, recipe development myself here at George Brown uh, and it's it's so much fun. It's such a challenge. Um, but one of one of the things that always I guess stumps me is trying to find a way to maintain the the texture, the flavor um, of the dishes while you know making those necessary nutritional changes mm-hmm. uh, so that you're you're accommodating to different needs. Um, I guess have you experienced those challenges or what? How do you? go about dealing with those? That's a great question. So, um, yeah, so making things tasty but also good for you. Nutritious and delicious. (laughs) Um, I'm just rhyming today. Nutritious and delicious. Greens and beans. Greens and beans. (laughs) I have a (laughs) three-year-old. There's lots of rhyming in my house. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so – Yes, yes. So you really, you do have to be innovative in terms of what you're utilizing. So what I always suggest and what I always focus on are including, you know, lots of dried herbs and spices, fresh herbs, um, tons of citrus, so, you know, all of the citrus, (laughs) limes, lemons, oranges, grapefruit, um, vinegars, um, ginger, garlic, all the things that are really flavorful. These are also really good for you too, Um, particularly when we're talking about cancer nutrition or if we're talking about chronic disease prevention and management in general. These are all great things for you, and they add extra flavor without additional salt, um, added sugar, and unhealthy fats, Mm -hmm. right? So Flavor builders, flavor enhancers. Yeah, we call it flavor country at my house. Flavor (laughs) country. Flavor country is coming in. Just knocking down over here. Flavor country. But yeah, so just utilizing that like um, and not relying on, um, yeah, fat and salt. I know uh, as a chef it's really hard for me (laughs) because oftentimes like people reference, you know, salt is flavor. And it's like, well, we can find it in other places as well, particularly if we're talking about wanting to make sure that the the dish is nutrient dense and, 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 and good for us. But yeah, it can be, it can be tricky, but once you know those like little tips mm-hmm. um, of things that you can add, then, uh, then the formula, it's quite easy. Okay. Yeah. So, such a great question there, Ken. So yeah, that was, really that was good awesome. Question. Thank you. Yeah. So what, what kinds of fat, fat contributes to flavor. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. And so what kind of fat do you like using in your recipes to to help boost the flavor a little bit? That's a great question, too. So we try to stick to whole foods as much as possible. So, um, yeah, nuts and seeds, nut and seed butters, avocado, and then we'll focus on things like um, when we're talking about different cooking oils, um, like grape seed, um, peanut oil, sesame oil. Sesame oil is a great one because it's also very flavorful mm. as well. Yeah, flavor um, And also all of those <laughs> exactly, and all of those have higher smoke points, mm-hmm. so they don't become carcinogenic when they're heated at higher temperatures. Whereas olive oil, which is a great oil to include, and we love it, um, can can begin to smoke. So it's, it has a, has a lower smoke point. And so we generally stick, we generally use olive oil for things like salad dressings, like drizzling. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So is there any, is there any research, um, connected to using, um, a carcinogenic, a potentially carcinogenic oil when you're already battling cancer? Um, is the, is that contribute to, uh, to preventing, um, um, you getting, you getting healthier faster? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's no specific studies um, that have been done 
when people are already right. diagnosed and then utilizing yeah. it. But we do know that when you're introducing those carcinogens, you're, right. you're creating free radicals in your body, which right. increases the inflammation, which increases chronic disease okay. in general, specifically cancer. Yeah. So I always say as soon as you see your, your oil smoke, yeah, start right. again. Okay. Yeah. So, so great point. There are yeah. best yeah. practices here yeah. in, in cancer prevention. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's an important point for all of our listeners too, mm-hmm. is, you know, olive oil really, yeah, just use it, uh, use it as a drizzle. It's don't, delicious. Don't with it. yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. when it's actually raw and cold. You can yeah. also do it at like lower temperatures as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you're, if you're cooking at lower temperatures, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't really go over 375. That's our usual, our go-to tip. So mm-hmm. at, the, at the risk of offending me, because I'm an island boy from Barbados, um, what are your thoughts on <laughs> coconut oil i love coconut oil yeah Yeah, i do um i think it recently just got a really bad rap on on cbc but in terms of um it's a fat right so Mm -hmm. it's not something that you're 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 taking spoonfuls of by itself like that's not something i recommend um it's you you're using it in moderation i actually like to use it in in baking for Mm -hmm. like pastries and cookies and things like that um it is a medium chain triglyceride Mm -hmm. Uh, has a higher smoke point, um, has been shown to uh, help with potentially help with weight maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it fills you up, makes you feel fuller for mm-hmm. longer. Um, has a really wonderful um, mouth feel. Obviously, you don't you want to you want to find the the ones that are um, not as uh, as as highly processed. Mm-hmm. So the extra virgin coconut oil is the ones that I usually go with. Um, but again, you're not, you're not eating copious amounts of it. It's something that is like you're u- utilizing like you would butter kind of, kind of thing. Would, would it be classified amounts. as a trans fat? Um, if it is hydrogenated, mm. yes. If it's not, then no, most, most aren't hydrogenated. So do you want to take us through that process of, of hydrogenation in, yeah. in terms of oils? Sure. Yeah. It's just, they're literally just adding, um, hydrogen to uh, carbon chains mm-hmm. that then makes it completely saturated. So you're breaking down the double bonds in the the unsaturated fat, now making it saturated, mm-hmm. um, but also hydrogenated, which which we know in Canada, um, actually Canada now we've banned it, I think by uh, in the next couple of years, we won't see any trans fats in any products. Right now, you'll st- you'll still see some because it's kind of in transition, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but we've, re- we're, on the move to remove <laughs> trans fats from our, from our food supply, which is amazing. So was, is that a myth when, when someone says that if a fat is solid at room temperature, then it's a trans fat? If it's solid at room temperature, mm-hmm. it's a saturated fat for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So saturated fat, not necessarily a trans fat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And could you actually explain what medium chain triglyceride actually is? So it's just a shorter. Um, so there's long there's long chains of uh, fatty acids. There's medium chains of fatty acids, and there's short chains of fatty acids. And that just essentially is just like there's different um, qualities or properties related to those particular fats. Um, and so uh, medium chain triglycerides in particular would be example. An example would be coconut oil, and another example would be palm oil. Another example would be beef tallow. Um, oh. um, those are, those are MCTs as they say in the biz. <laughs> does, that make it, does that make it better? Um, not necessarily, not necessarily. So again, more research is definitely needed around this particular type of, mm-hmm. of, of fat. Um, but there are some potential benefits that we're seeing. I'm just thinking of my love of hot pot over here and yeah. beef, um, beef fat being necessary <laughs> for it. But you know what? No, I know. 
coconut uh, coconut oil we can use to, uh, to uh, a, a, in moderation. Yeah, everything in moderation. Yes, including moderation. Totally, the holidays are coming. So, so you've built up your you've built up your following now, and um, we 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 did a, a huge. Um, um, curriculum redesign about five years ago and, and introduced the blog concept to our students. And they, every student has to, has to write a blog. Um, they have to do a recipe development. They have to, um, they have to, you know, visit a farmer. They have to visit a farmer's market, all these things to, to get, to, to get students in, into the digital age and also mm-hmm. to act as a journal for them. Some students love it. And we mm-hmm. have blog awards every year. Actually, Kenzie, I you, loved were, it. I you, loved were, it. you were in the blog <laughs> awards last year, weren't you? Um, yeah. So the, we we were tasked to write a uh, write a blog for our food theory class and uh, and that was so much fun because we just had assignments that encouraged us to uh, like you were saying get out into the community and interact and uh, it, it was kind of the what actually got me into recipe development and and where I realized that I really liked it and that's kind of where I'm I'm wanting to go because uh, we were that was the first time I think we were. Um, asked to go to the market, find a food that we'd never cooked with before, and make a recipe with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went. I went home, and it was near winter. So I I grabbed a persimmon, which I had never had before, but they are delicious, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, and I made a, a nice little ricotta persimmon parfait, and uh, wow. yeah, yeah. So it, it's a great so idea good. to to get yourself out there, and then it's it's great to kind of you can put it on your resume, you can show show other other chefs and, and that was the idea that's so, do, that, so that know? students could then go to, to a job interview and be like here, here this, is our, this is our blog this is, yeah. tells yeah. you a little bit about me you can see the style of food that I have great so so um, in your in your journey to writing a book you're encouraging you know people to write blogs to do some recipe development you've got some money and then what, what <laughs> now, now what do you now what do you do so you know you've hit up your parents or maybe you've written a grant um, you know or you know you've, you've worked really really hard and saved up some money because your, your, your dream was, has always been to write a book um so who do you approach what happens next yeah so sometimes it can be just cold calls it can also be who you know so if you do have connections to any publishers and you do say you say you already have content say you have the recipes say you've already got the pictures say you have all that that's that's a little bit easier of a sell to publishers um because they can see it they can say yay or nay on the spot like oh this is really great or you know uh whereas if it's just a concept or an idea they don't necessarily know what they're getting into. So, um, yeah, it could be just complete cold calls where you're approaching publishers with this idea. Um, but if you do have some sort of connection to uh, a publisher in particular, even just like an in of one person that works there, right. um, it's super helpful just even to get your foot in the door. And then when you get mm-hmm. the foot in the door, obviously your content has to be good yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in order for it to, to progress after that. But um, – yeah, that's why it's important. so important, as I was just saying, to volunteer, to network, just get to know as many people as you possibly can in the area that you're interested in. Um, it's like almost like building your team for it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then once you you once you get the, the go ahead, do you, did you take all the pictures, or is there a photographer who comes aboard? So we or? were very lucky to work with. Um, his name is Darren Kemper. Um, amazing, very skilled, talented, but also just a wonderful human being. <laughs> uh, and so we, I had actually worked with him through Clean Eating Magazine, which is another um, uh, place that I I, I contribute to. Um, and so he. Uh, yeah, he was he was absolutely wonderful to work with, and and the photos are beyond anything I could ever ever hoped 
or dreamed for. And then we also had food stylists as well, which was really great because we had students that were working with professional photographers and professional food stylists. So they were getting that experience as well. Wow. Um, what, a, oh, what a great experience. Sorry, carry on. Oh, I was just saying, and also getting experience themselves on right. how, to, how to do it too. Like so you had a lot of student participation in yes, the project? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, so actually 15 of the recipes that are found in the cookbook are student recipes. And that's why I really I really like it because it's, um, it's a very Canadian cookbook and then it's very culturally diverse. So um, there's a Rasafarian dish in there. there there's all, so, you know, all sorts of different um, foods from different uh, backgrounds, which is, I think, really representation, a good representation of of Canada in general. Yeah, but. One of the things I was most impressed with is just the just the amount of of spice that there is around it. Like I, mm. I love I love me my chilies and hot food, right? So I, <laughs> I remember texting you a couple of weeks ago, going, "Yes, thank you so much for putting this in here. It's so awesome." Yes, but I mean that's another another good. Uh, we were just Kenzie was asking before. Chilies are another good one as well to add additional additional flavor without added fat, salt, or sugar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and again, that was such a uh, great point. Just to loop back around to to your flavor builders or flavor country, um, you know, because we like our, a lot of the feedback that we give our students here is they're building recipes. Mm-hmm. Is you know, like you're just you're just missing you're just missing some flavor here. Like how do we elevate that flavor? You know, and we and we tend to go to like you say fats and salts, mm-hmm. but you know, acids can yes. do this as well. Dried yes. best dried dried herbs or even fresh herbs or like what are these other things that you can do to to elevate such such wonderful spices? So thank. Thank you so much for mentioning that. That You're was welcome. that was that was really great. Um, back to Kenzie Osborne again. Um, Kenzie, you had you had an interesting question about same thing flavors. Um, did you want to go down that road a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um, as I as I said before, I am I'm really into recipe development. Um, but when when you get a recipe out there. Um, say a recipe for a burger, uh, a lot of people are going to associate that burger with a processed burger. Um, and and there's been um, a couple of books and some research that has been out there that the fats, the sugars, the salts, it can, it can encourage somebody to really like those flavors and um, want those flavors, look for those flavors in the food. Um, so I guess kind of how do you um, – help replace those processed items Mm -hmm. with healthier items Mm -hmm. without uh, kind of them feeling like they're being deprived of their uh, experience. How do you you create satisfying, satiating, you know, stick to your ribs, stodgy type type foods without a ton of fat, salt, and sugar? Yeah. Yeah. Um, One example I would give that's in the book, uh, we – I originally called they were called um, lentil balls, but my 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 publisher wouldn't <laughs> let us call them balls. They they're bites now. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's a good example of utilizing whole foods to kind of simulate, particularly like a burger right. um, or a, a, a meat like texture. So lentils combined with. Um, with walnuts and mushrooms. So mushrooms in particular give that really nice umami flavor um, that that oftentimes meat or ground beef gives off as well. So trying to find, um, yeah, whole foods that that simulate those flavors is, is is always a good idea. So I, as I mentioned, lentils, mushrooms, nuts, those are great. Um, tempeh is another good one as well. I make a, at home, it's a staple in our household. It's a, a lentil bolognese. It's, um, it's literally like onions, garlic, um, spices. So I'll use like cumin, um, uh, coriander, and then we'll throw in some like dried basil and oregano and then tempeh with 
a little bit of like tamari uh, and that and then and then and then make a tomato sauce after that. And so it's um, right. kind of again simulating that mouth feel, that texture. Uh, and then also the uh, umami flavor as well. Yeah, that that sounds so good. Um, I saw a recipe for uh, lentil mushroom shepherd's pie. Yum. That's one. I, re- <laughs> I really want to try that one. My dad made um, shepherd's pie for us every Sunday night growing up. So that's that's one I'm definitely going to have to give a try. Yeah, that was one sure. of my childhood favorites too. Yeah. We have it in our household all the time. And that's so the, the same sort of thing with like the ground beef, trying to simulate that the texture but also the flavor. Uh, there as well without adding what's also impressive about this book is the add-ons so um so a couple nights ago my mom's visiting from barbados i said you can you make a shepherd's pie here's a recipe from my friend amy's book and so she made it and the add-on to that recipe is gravy so like you yeah so so like you know not (laughs) not only do you have like this awesome like this awesome like stick to your ribs crowd pleaser but you added in a vegan gravy into it as well too so (laughs) it was and it was delicious by the way Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's Can't have a shepherd's favorite. pie without a good gravy. <laughs> I, I would agree with that too. And then same sort of thing using the mushrooms as kind of the the umami flavor. Yeah. So 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 grasping a hold of some of those like real umami flavors. You mentioned tamari. Um, do you want to just give us a little a little um, rundown of the difference between tamari and soy sauce? Yeah. So soy sauce generally, if we're talking nutritionally speaking, soy sauce tends to have more sodium. So we, we, we try to stick to tamari as much as possible. I also find it to be kind of a more subtle flavor. It's I, I, I like to use soy sauce, obviously, with things like sushi and stuff like that. But tamari, I prefer to cook with it because, it, again, it's, um, it's, it's more mild. Uh, it has less sodium. Um, uh, and it's, it's, uh, I know soy sauce in particular is more um, akin to, like, Japanese culture, um, whereas tamari is kind of more universally used I guess um but yeah it's just I think it's just ma- mainly just comes down to a flavor preference for for me in particular and the dishes that we're creating mm-hmm. yeah and you can and you can get um gluten-free tamari as exactly, well too. yeah so exactly yeah other options there yeah. for, for a celiac and people who are looking to definitely to cut down on their gluten mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah. definitely yeah you made an interesting point earlier how, you know, your publisher didn't like the the, the, the use of the word balls. Um, I'm not sure why. I love food shaped in balls. <laughs> we, used to have, we used to have a dish on here called Wookiee Balls years years ago. And no, actually, that's not what they were called. But uh, that's that's what they were called in industry. I remember that. And they were fantastic. They were these pork dumplings and they were they were wrapped in um, they were wrapped in uh, rice and then steamed. And then we had this wicked uh, dipping sauce with them. But th- that's besides mm-hmm. the point. The question I was going to ask was, um, so I now you're going off on food tangents. Yeah, so, right. yeah. <laughs> so you're writing this book now, and your publisher comes in and says, "Sorry, you can't use that word." What sort of artistic license do you have, or artistic ownership do you have as you as you're creating the book? Yeah, I think it completely depends on who you're working with. My publisher was amazing. In some cases. Um, I was the, I was the person who was like, we can't do that. We can't use that. We can't say yeah. disease fighting. Right. Um, uh, or we didn't want to use disease fighting. Right. Um, but it really depends on who you are working with. Mm. So my publisher was um, Douglas and McIntyre, and they were an absolute dream to work with. Very supportive at every step. Um, the only the only the only um, hiccup that we encountered was that I had there was actually more material that I had wanted to cram mm-hmm. into the book, mm-hmm. but we only had a certain amount of pages. And already, if you're feeling it, it's very it's, it's hefty. It's oh, hefty. Yeah. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. It's a great it's like a good the size. size. I love it. Like it's a it's a coffee table book. 
I, I would say it's a it's a it's a usable cookbook as well. Um, I mean, I've already got some stains in it. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. In mine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say they're just thinking long term. There's probably going to be a volume two. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Plug, plug, I'm gonna plug, have a little plug. break first. Yeah. <laughs> You're, now, um, for our listeners out, th- our listeners out there who, who can't see what's going on, um, Amy's saying that that she's going to be taking a little bit of a break first. Mm-hmm. And you want to tell us why you're taking a break? Yeah, I'm going to be birthing a child soon. <laughs> <laughs> No big over the, over yeah. the holidays. That's yeah. going to be my holiday break. Yeah. Wonderful. So this is my, my second um, child. I have a three-year-old boy. Um, yeah. So another another little boy is on the way December 21st. Wow. Congratulations. To, that's what they say anyways, but yeah. who knows? Yeah, and, it's, and it's important when we when we made the invitation here, it was uh, baby permitting so <laughs> yeah. to, to, to record this record this podcast. Yeah. How um how does your, your little boy respond to the, the the food that you cook at home? Yeah, he loves it. He yeah. he loves he one thing we actually do at the grocery store, um, it's funny you're talking about persimmons. I take him and he'll pick out something that he's never tried before. We'll take it home and we have a game where it's like Mac tries a dragon fruit and like I take a little video of it. Um, and that's a good way to get them exposed to different things. So he loves he loves trying new things for the most part. I mean, he is a toddler. Yeah. He likes to he likes to enforce some sort of yeah. control over his life, but for the most part, he's really open to trying new things. But yeah. well, what a fantastic way to get kids to try new things! Yeah. Like here, I'm going to video you, like your expressions <laughs> in your face. Well, you could choose anything yeah, yeah, you yeah, want yeah, yeah. in the grocery store. We, we yeah. used to have mm-hmm. uh, the rule in our house was um, you had to try everything once. And um, you have to try it once a year. So yeah. if, you, if you tried broccoli and you didn't like it, that's fine. We're not going to force next you to eat year. broccoli. But you have to you have to try you have to try it again next year. But then we also had um, we also had the rule that if it's grown on, on at our house and on the farm, there is no negotiation on that one. You I have like to eat that it. One. So that like, one if we grow it, you eat it. One. Yeah. Yeah. I also do, well, I'm sure as you know, kids' t- taste buds change right so frequently. And so that's another good thing to say to them too. Okay, you might not like it now, but your taste buds are forever mm-hmm. changing. So you you know, in six weeks from now, it might be different a different story. Was he a taste so, tester for some of your recipes? Yeah, definitely for <laughs> sure. Um, for sure, there was. I mean, he's a kid, right? So kids, toddlers in particular, they like to. For the most part, they like things separate, and and so so oh, yeah. give him like don't, a plain. Don't touch. <laughs> Carrots can't touch the peas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for the most part, um, I would give him like deconstructed versions of of what, awesome. what we we're making. So the mise en place. For exactly. It. Yeah. Exactly. And and Amy, you grew up on a small farm in southwestern Ontario. You're you're a seventh generation Symington. Um, and the farm was established in 1834. It's it's from a beef farm to raising turkeys to dairy. Um, we have an orchard and a sugar bush, and now it mainly grows grows cash crops. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, you you ate a lot of food that was uh, that was grown on your, your farm, surrounding your neighbors, right? Yep. So you have a real connection to the land and and to to your food chain as well, yeah. Most definitely, yeah. Some of my favorite childhood memories are of me and my grandma in her garden picking, you know, like green beans, mm-hmm. and then taking them into the house and preparing them. And I think that's very important, particularly when you're raising kids, that they have that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think it's so wonderful, the blog, you have them go and talk to farmers and, and mm-hmm. farmers markets. So they make that connection to their yeah. food because there is really a big disconnect, yeah. um, unfortunately, these days with mm-hmm. where the food comes from. I think and we titled it Hug a Farmer. Oh, um, that was I love that yeah. so much. Yeah. And so I grew up on a, a small farm. And so, you know, surrounding us are all small farmers uh for the, for the most part unfortunately some of the farms are being bought up now by bigger um uh, uh corporations and things but uh yeah for that, growing up we always had a real respect 
for um, growing your own food and, and the land and, um, you know, making food from scratch. Is that where quite a bit of your inspiration for your recipes now kind of stems from? Yeah, a lot of the stuff is like comfort food that I loved yeah. when I was a kid. So like pot pies, um, <laughs> pot pies, shepherd pie, um, you know, anything that's like stodgy, stick to your ribs, satiating, like comfort yeah. type foods. Like there's a, a, a mac and cheese recipe and they're using butternut squash. Um, mm. Yeah, oh, but yeah, that's that. exactly I it. Like I, I really, I went back to things that like were really comforting and and staples. Like there's still staples in my in my household. We just kind of did um, – Healthier. I made healthier versions of the ones that I had when I was <laughs> when I was a kid. But the pie recipe in particular, the shepherd's pie, that dough recipe was my grandmother Symington's, but changed a little bit. Obviously, mm. she had uh, she used lard <laughs> in hers. That may not work. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite kitchen gadget? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't really have one to be honest. I I always say, uh, just give me a knife and a cutting board. It's like my, that's my go-to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, the knife is the extension of a chef's arm. Totally. So. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You I, guys know. I, I made stone soup the other day. There's an old, there's oh, an old uh, children's book that. about stone soups. And my kids were just like, well, we keep, oh, we, yeah, where, where's the stone soup I've been hearing about yeah. all day? That's yeah. amazing. Um, any advice for young chefs that you would, uh, you would hand out? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, definitely volunteer. That's my favorite one. Um, uh, get to know, if especially if you're in school, get to know all of your uh, professors, instructors, chefs, because they will be the ones that will be able to connect you, um, you know, in, in the industry. Uh, so don't, you know, I mean, in life, don't burn any bridges, just be a good human being. But uh, yeah. but particularly when it's talk when you're talking yeah. about um, wanting to build your career. So just networking, uh, working, obviously, you got to you have to work very hard. There's no there's yeah. no substitution for hard work. And being good at what you do. And I think that transcends almost all industries. Like, like yeah. uh, I have students whose parents say to us, I understand it's a hard, it's a hard career choice and it's a hard, it's a hard life. And I say, well, if you want to succeed, it is right. Yeah. Like, and, but like anywhere, like if you want to succeed, you have to apply yourself. You have to work hard. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't, there's no replacement for, for hard work. Well, what did you mean when you said, um, try not to burn any bridges? Yeah. I mean, just leave, leave, leave a project, um, you know, leave a project on good terms always, no matter what, even if there was, you know, some sort of conflict or something that didn't sit right, um, with you or with, with the other party that you're working with, um, uh, make sure that you, that the, you've come to some sort of resolution mm -hmm. that you feel contented with mm -hmm. and that you, you would, you wouldn't, you know, cross the street if you saw that person on the other yeah. side of the street, like make sure that you're, you're. Just, as I said, just as a rule, a general rule of life, uh, a general rule of thumb in life, just be a good person. Be a good person. <laughs> I mean, a lot of your kind. people's success, it comes back to the relationships that they have and the ones 100%. they maintain. So, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there's so much power in that too, Wendy, in that, in that word maintain. Mm -hmm. Right, maintaining mm -hmm. those relationships, you know, because we 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 all, um, you know, this, this the research out there says that you can maintain fifty relationships at a, at a reasonable level, and in this day and age where we have um, where we have like five hundred followers mm -hmm. and some people who have right. millions of followers, mm -hmm. like how do you maintain those relationships? And it's and it's and it's hard to to, well, to do that. Maintaining your right? own well being, yes, at, own at, at the same time, time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also always say to um, support those people, those connections. So when they're right. doing something that, you know, a good, yeah. a good 
project or whatever they're working on to support them as much as possible. And for example, first the book that we, that we just came out with, um, just including as many people as you possibly can in the process because they are also going to be invested and they're going to spread the word. Yeah. Um, and so the, the word gets out even more, right? Your reach is further. Yep. So creating, creating a good Strong, followership. Yeah. When you move forward there. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say your biggest challenge has been in your career? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, uh, I guess trying to, trying to maintain the, and this is uh, with a lot of careers is like the good, like the good work life balance. Um, and, and, and definitely investing my time in the things that I'm really excited about and not investing as much time in the things that, um, that don't excite me or I'm not, I'm passionate about. Um, I mean, in the beginning, sometimes you say yes a lot more to get that experience. Um, uh, but then as, as, after you've maintained kind of your, your role, um, then maybe scaling back on the things that, um, that you're not necessarily as excited about. So yeah, work-life balance as much as possible is tricky. I mean, I find that, I find that, uh, it is tricky with students that are usually in the culinary industry or food related because everything kind of revolves around food. So to separate your professional world, which is food and then into your personal world, which could be food, it's just kind of a, how do you find that kind of strict line and divide? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that the chef cooks all day for other people and then comes yeah. home and eats fast food. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's or like the holidays yeah. coming. All yeah. my students say they've been voluntold by their family that yeah. they're all doing ah! the cooking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so. And then they have to be subjected to <laughs> yeah. everyone criticizing <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> what are you doing school? boiling potatoes like that? That's not how we do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not how we raised you. <laughs> I, I was in a meeting the other day and, and I noticed a colleague had a tattoo on her arm and it said, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Right. Oh, sorry, it was said just because I can doesn't mean I should, right? So yeah. I thought there was real power in, in that, right? So just just touching back to your biggest challenge in in, in your career. Yeah, yeah. totally. Just because I'm capable of doing it, then it doesn't mean I necessarily should. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that so much. And so yeah, so just being cognizant of your time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your time is valuable, definitely, and in investing in the things that you love to do and do that. Well, that's uh, you know that's a great plug right now for us to 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 be so generous with your time and come down here and yes. spend and spend some of it with us on on the chef pot. Oh thanks, gosh, thanks so much guess. for for taking that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we asked you about advice for young chefs and what your favorite. Uh, no, we never asked you what your favorite comfort food is. Oh my What's gosh! What's your go to? Okay, so it changes all the time. Uh, right now, I am great answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I currently I am almost thirty eight weeks pregnant, so <laughs> I, I really like a good stodgy stick to your rib stuff. So the shepherd's pie is a good yes. one. Um, I just made, we had our family Christmas over the weekend a little bit early (laughs) and I made a a tofu bourguignon uh, over Mm. just roasted, um, roasted root veggies. So there was, you know, beets and purple carrots Mm. and all sorts of different root veggies. And yeah, so yeah, probably those two, two items right at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Kenzie, do you have any sort of last questions or anything? Uh, we just want to be cognizant of, uh, of Amy's time here. 
Yeah, no, of course. Thank you so much for uh, the, this has been a great learning experience for myself too. And uh, learning a bit more about recipe development and your experiences with it. Um, I think it's incredible what you, what you've come up with and put together. And uh, I, I'm certainly going to get, get going on some of these recipes myself. Um, especially that shepherd's pie. That's yeah. probably, that's probably a tonight <laughs> dinner thing. So awesome. uh, thank you yeah, so much no, that for sounds, that. That's yeah. Great. Thank you for, for, uh, sharing your knowledge. Thank you. You're welcome. What recipe yeah. were you most proud of in the book? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I really like, I really like, it's a very simple one though. Um, uh, I really like the Brussels sprouts and roasted apples with shiitake bacon. Nice. It's one of my favorites. It's very easy to, to put together, but the flavors and like the different, like the flavor profile, it's very diverse and, and a little bit unique. And yeah, I really like that one. I mean, I mean, again, you could ask me in a month and maybe I'll change my answer, but right now it's the best. <laughs> that great. one I'm really, I'm really into. I yeah. actually caught eye of that one today when I was looking yeah. at your book. It's like shiitake bacon yeah. sounds so much more exciting than a coconut bacon yeah, yeah. when I'm hearing <laughs> vegan options of bacon. Yeah. I know it's sacrilegious. Yes, yeah. I know it's sacrilegious, well, but uh, I, one of actually one of the girls who helped with the recipe development, the coconut bacon recipe in particular, her husband, our soon-to-be husband is a butcher mm-hmm. and he... <laughs> Loves nice. the coconut bacon it's recipe tasty. that's in it, and yeah. he love. I'm not sure if he's tried the shiitake one, but he he would vouch for the the coconut <laughs> bacon one. So awesome. there you there you have it. <laughs> yeah, we did we did in, in the class that I teach uh, food for special events here at George Brown College. We did um, a king oyster um, bacon. Oh. Yum. Yeah, and it was. It was I love really oyster nice. mushrooms. That Me is too. Such a They're good like one. one of my favorites. Me too. Me too. So we did an interesting um, show last week where we talked about where we talked about uh, plant based meats. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are your what are your thoughts on on like on like the Beyond Burger mm-hmm. or the Ultimate Burger um, or the, sorry the Impossible Burger? Yeah, yeah, they're, it's fast food. Yeah, yeah it's a processed food. Great. It's a sometimes food. Like I'm not gonna lie, on our road trips as a kid, we would stop at fast food places, yeah. and like mm-hmm. it's a treat. You don't do it every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the same would go for those. It's it's just good to have a veggie option because yeah. people are plant based or yeah. veggie it's or a meat yeah. analog. Yeah, but it is meat analog, <laughs> yeah. so it's processed. You're, yeah. You you know, and I, I'm not saying that you should right. never eat processed foods ever again, um, but you should definitely not eat them every day yeah. or even every week. It's right. something that you have once in a while. So I mean, there's all sorts of controversy in terms of comparing, you know, the Beyond Meat right. Burger to like a beef burger. It's yeah. just it's all it's all fast food. Yeah. Yes. Right. So yeah. just just be be conscious of that. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> uh, after our show, I did I did some further research and um, and I, I was just chuckling last night because there's um, there's a there's a, a lobbyist in, in the states who represents uh, the beef the cattle farmers of of America and they're just like so irate <laughs> at um, the at the plant based meat industry at taking their names. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's mm. like, it's like, you know, you, like we've had bacon for, for hundreds of years. Like why, how can you come in now? Like just like create, we're just, we, we're not saying we don't want you here. We're just saying like, use like use your own words. Like, like don't create like a mushroom steak. Like don't, don't be selling your, your, your mushroom bacon, your tofu bacon in the same aisle. Because what you're doing is ripping is you're, you're ripping off our, our names. Right. Yeah, so I know, yeah. I know um, out West to here, there was an issue with, um, a small time mom and pop shop where they, they were, someone had complained to the CFIA to them about um, the use of, I forget exactly what it was. If it was like cheese, the use of cheese Mm. on their menu, instead of saying, you know, like 
It's cashew cheese. Yeah, what of, I think they even of, say it's cashew cheese, yeah. but they complained, and so they actually had to asked to change it. I'm not sure it's like desist. pending right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think they. I don't think they will have yeah. to. But I mean, stuff like stuff like that, people get up in arms. Yeah, about they get they sure. get really angry with it, right? <laughs> That's my burger. Like you you can't call it something else. Yeah, right? so. yeah, veggie patty. Yeah, disc. They were suggesting. Yeah, oh, that was it. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, whatever. People are still gonna buy it. Yeah. They're still going to buy it. But yeah, it does sound less appetizing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is association. Food is experience. So you could say it's a a mushroom stew yeah. or you could say it's a mushroom bourguignon. And it, yeah. Either way, you're going to have an audience that will order either. For and, sure. and a yeah. couple of weeks ago, we we interviewed uh, Karima Moyer from uh, from Italy, mm. and like you better be careful calling something a carbonara. Uh, v- a, a vegan carbonara <laughs> in yeah, Italy. Yeah, right? yeah, like yeah, people yeah. get up in arms. Yeah, about for that, sure. Right? I, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's other things you could you could call you know the shiitake bacon. You could call yeah. it like smoked shiitake. Smoked shiitake. Like right. there are things that you could potentially. Yeah. But it's about the uh, the the experience, the yeah. memory that you're trying to trigger in that um, consumer. Exactly. I understand that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, personally, I like it. Like, a, yeah, I, I, I think you should yeah. be able to call. You should like coconut bacon sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. smoked right. coconut, yeah. less fantastic. Less yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I think I think also when people are making maybe more of a transition from a an, an, right. a meat based diet to yeah. a plant based diet, it's it's kind of important to make that connection. Sure. Like the shepherd's pie. I'm sure like hundreds of people after they've listened, if we have hundreds of listeners, <laughs> we'll be trying the shepherd's pie. Because right. Because it's shepherd's name. pie, exactly. not yeah. necessarily like a, a lentil yeah. casserole or something like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a shepherd's all pie. Sound good. No, thanks. <laughs> when did the word, word casserole like Actually, start, yeah. start be, become so important? Casseroles are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one around. Yeah, I think so. I've never brought one of those to dinner. <laughs> so Amy, where can we buy your book great question um it is available uh on amazon indigo also available in costco which i was very proud of oddly enough amazing <laughs> the, the long table cookbook and uh and then you can also get it at um here in toronto type books book city but i also recommend too if you have a favorite local bookstore that you like to frequent uh-huh. go in there ask them if they don't have it to get it in so that you can support that and you can also get the that get uh, the good word out yeah and and it's important to remember here that you took no profit off the top of this, right? That is correct. Like everything here, <laughs> everything here went to went to Gilda's Club of uh, of Toronto, um, where they support uh, cancer research and food for for cancer yep. patients. So, so I've had no problems promoting it because. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know all the proceeds are going to a really great place, and you know it's it's interesting. One of the things that you that you said, like be kind and be nice, and you talked Love about it. your publishers being kind and be nice. I was talking to someone the other day about um, about you and your cookbook, and they said like, well, so tell me a little bit about Amy. I said, you know what? Like honestly, Amy is just like an awesome person. Oh. Like like all around. Like besides the fact that she wrote a wonderful cookbook, and we're mm-hmm. really like we really like love having her to promote you. But um, it's been great having you on here. Thank and you so keep, much. And keep being awesome. Yeah, way to make yeah. It, the energy uh, is awesome. Uh, thank you so much. I was like, way to way to make a, make make a pregnant lady cry on air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I appreciate it. I've had so much fun, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Great having you here. And Kenzie Osborne, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy exam schedule to spend some time with us. Oh, no, thank you so much for for inviting me here. It's been awesome. Great. Well, my name's Jason Ennis. And I'm Wendy Ma. And you've been listening to The Chef Pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And if you have any feedback, please reach out to us on Apple Music or Spotify or anywhere where you listen to the podcast. Once again, Jason Ennis. Wendy Ma. 
You're listening to The Chef Pod. Where we're sowing the seeds for the future of food. Have a great day, everyone.